0: Thankful for our band who serves us so faithfully. Great song, Is He Worthy? Yeah. And He is worthy. And what we're going to find out this morning is that He's also worthy of our work, and a certain kind of work that He's looking for. So please open your Bibles to Ephesians 4, verse 28. Ephesians 4, 28, we're going to begin in verse 25, read down to verse 32 to set this in our hearts and minds. Follow along with me as I read. Paul writes, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil, Let bitterness, all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let the thief no longer steal. You will remember Paul's great object at this point in the book was to exhort the Ephesian believers to walk worthy of their calling. He had said at the beginning of the chapter, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, exhort you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And at this point in the book, Paul has just spent three chapters explaining what that calling was Not going to go over all of that, but what I do want to do by way of introduction is just go to the very first verse of Ephesians and remind you again, because it's basically all here. What is our calling? Who are we in Christ? Paul tells us, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, he writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to all the saints who are at Ephesus who are faithful in Christ Jesus. There are principles here to inform our calling. One, we have been set apart. This is who we are. We are saints, Paul writes. All the saints who are at Ephesus, uh, literally the set apart ones. So they had been set apart from the world and to God for His purposes, which of course uh, have some implications for what we will be covering today when it comes to work. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's principle one. Principle two, we have not been set apart in isolation. It's not as if we have been plucked out and placed in a room by ourselves. This letter is written to the saints, plural, those who are in Ephesus. This is a real group of people, a local congregation with real problems, real gifts, really set apart to serve Christ together as he has called them. That's principle two. Principle three, they are set apart as the faithful ones. Paul wrote that the saints are in Ephesus and who are faithful. This is who they are. It's not that they were becoming faithful. They are faithful. And this word comes from the Greek word pistos, meaning reliable, stable, worthy of trust. They were dependable. This is who they were Uh, Paul writes of himself in 1 Corinthians 7.25, he says that he is one who by mercy of the Lord, and then here's our word, is trustworthy, pistos, uh, faithful stewards of God's word. So this is who we are, and there's some implications behind that. If we are faithful and we've been given a stewardship, Paul tells us how he thinks of himself again, 1 Corinthians 4.2, moreover... It is required of stewards that they be found faithful, trustworthy, reliable, dependable. God has given us work to do. The question is, will we be faithful? And then the last, most important, from Ephesians 1.1, to all the saints who are in Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. This is the fountainhead, the sum of our calling, our new identity, Here's where all of our grace and spiritual strength lies. This is how we've been set apart. This is how we've been joined together. This is how we've been counted as faithful and accepted by God. We are in Christ Jesus, placed into his death and resurrection and life. And to be in Christ means, this is amazing, that everything that is true of him is now true of us so that when the father looks at us if we are in Christ he sees him completely forgiven covered prepared to walk in this newness of life these are the principles that inform the commands that we are now looking at and what Paul's going to do is specifically tell us how do we walk out this calling how do we walk out these Principles. And so far, we have learned that there is a great exchange that has taken place. As a result of our calling and who we are, no longer are we to lie. Now we tell the truth, a completely new person. Now, as a result of our calling, no longer are we given over to sinful anger. That is to be put off. And now our life is covered in righteous anger, a spirit that is self controlled. And then this morning, again, another 180. Instead of stealing, we share a completely new person. If Ephesians 2.10 is true, then this means that we have been recreated by God to be His workmanship, that we might walk in these new works that He has prepared for us. And so what Paul is doing here is to say, if this is true of you, then this also should be true of you. If it is true that you've been recreated for new works, then it must also be true that these old works have been put off and the new ones are now put on. And so we come this morning to an old work and a new work and a reason that one is to be put off and the other is to be put on. Again, a negative command, a positive command, and a reason for both of them. Three commands that ought to undergird a Christian's understanding of work. Three foundational Christian principles to inform a Christian work ethic, which is completely different than the unbeliever's work ethic. The first is this, very simply, do not steal. Do not steal. Paul begins, let the thief, Ephesians 4.28, no longer steal. The implication is that at one time, stealing was going on, but no longer being placed into Christ is he to steal. And so we have another command which the Apostle Paul has specifically selected to put in this part of the book to say that to continue in the practice of stealing is essentially not to live the Christian life. It doesn't go together. It's unbecoming. It doesn't match And also to show us that to steal within the body of Christ is to break fellowship within the body of Christ, to break apart the unity, and therefore we must put away all stealing. In 1 Corinthians 6-9, Paul asks this question, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived." Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, all things we would expect in this list, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. We need to be sure that if there is stealing, continual practice of it, if greed is in our heart to that level, we have no inheritance in the kingdom of God It is to be put off. No longer shall the thief steal. Where does Paul get this? He gets this from the Eighth Commandment in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, 15. Four words, you shall not steal. You shall not steal. A very simple, straightforward command. We all know what it means, and yet we cannot treat it in a cursory kind of manner. Uh, There is much below these waters. And what we need to see this morning is not necessarily how we have done right by not taking a stick of gum off the shelf, but really what I want us to see is how how we have all fallen short of what's behind this. A reason so that we might grow to be more like our Savior. So what exactly does it mean to steal? At the most basic level, it simply means to take something that does not belong to you And to use it for your own good. It is to take something that is not yours, you have not worked for. And often this involves your hands, which is why Paul says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. You've just taken something that someone else has used their hands to work for, and now you've used your hands to take what's theirs. Don't do that, use your hand in a right way. And so, what he's saying is stealing involves a perversion of your body, a corruption of your hands, a misuse of the ability. Our Creator, our Heavenly Father, has graciously given us hands. Aren't we all glad that we don't have feet for hands? We have hands. And they're amazing tools that can be used for all kinds of amazing things. But God means them to be used for specific things, not in corrupt way. The thief perverts this by refusing to use his hands to work for himself and to work on behalf of others for the Lord. And instead uses them to take what he has not earned to serve himself and to gratify himself. It is a perversion. And there is, of course, no end to what we could steal. Anything that is on the earth, we can steal. Money, electronics, computers, credit cards, gift cards, bank information, firearms, tools, bikes, cars, parts, off cars, jewelry, M&Ms. The list could go on. It is a major problem in our society. The National Retail Federation estimates that retailers lose around $95 billion every year from theft. It's possible that somewhere within that number you're included, but my guess is that many of you are thinking to yourself, Well, actually, I haven't really been tempted lately while at H-E-B to grab anything off the shelf and put it in my pocket. I'm quite content to go to the checkout line and to do it just like everybody else. No big deal. I don't have a problem with stealing. Let's just move on. Okay, my toddler does. They tried to grab something off the shelf, but we put it back. We're good. Keep moving on. We could do that. But the problem is, the command, do not steal, has a much more broad application than just stealing a stick of gum. You see, just because your hands haven't been used to steal something at a grocery store doesn't mean that you still don't have within your heart greed in the heart of a thief. For example, in addition to stealing an actual physical object with your hands, you could also steal time with your employer. Your employer has hired you for a set amount of time to perform a certain task or a certain task. This is what you have agreed to do. You've signed off to do. This is what he hired you for. You agreed that you would use your time to serve him. And if you have not agreed that you would use some of your time for your own personal pleasure your own personal responsibilities, it is in effect a form of stealing. They have hired you to do certain duties and not others, and therefore to do that would be to steal. You have stolen what your employer has paid for, which is your time. Again, another major problem in our society. One international study I came across said this, employers lose about 4.5 hours every week per employee to time theft. My guess is it's probably larger than that. So we can steal time, and we have all stolen time to a certain extent, but also we can steal words. We can steal phrases. We can steal ideas. Uh, This is called plagiarism. It is the practice of taking someone else's work or ideas and passing it off as our own, as if we had done the work. This is a kind of intellectual theft. Again, a major problem in our society. Type in the word plagiarism in your search bar, and you will find the first few hits that come up are plagiarism checkers. Teachers trying to figure out, did my student write this or did ChatGPT write this? Who wrote this? Plagiarism. Not just a few bad apples in the universities engaging in this, a 12-year-long study concluded that 95% of the surveyed students had admitted to cheating on exams, homework, or plagiarism at least once within their student career. We can steal objects, we can steal time, we can steal ideas, there's many things that we can steal. Essentially, if your heart wants what someone else has, you can steal it. Another one maybe that we don't often think as connected to theft would be sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, Paul writes, This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, "...that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter." The word defraud means, or has behind it, greed the desires to take advantage of. In other words, to take something that is not theirs. All sexual immorality involves a taking of something that is not yours for your own greedy, lustful, personal pleasure. The culture gets around this concept with the idea of consent. Everybody consents, the sin wipes away. But biblically, this has no bearing. Sexual immorality, according to the Bible, is all sexual activity done outside of the covenant of marriage, regardless of consent. So, pornography, which is widespread in the culture... Widespread within the church is a form of theft. Premarital sex, fornication is a form of theft. Stealing what is not yours. Adultery is a form of theft. It is to take what is not yours, which God has not given, and to use it for your own pleasure. All of these things are theft, stealing. And we all know that it is. We actually all testify against ourselves when we steal because no one steals out in the open. Everyone, when they steal, you know what they do first? They look this way, they look that way, and then they steal. Make sure no one is looking. The lights are turned off. All done under the cover of darkness, and the reason is because it is shameful. A particularly shameful sin that everyone knows is wrong. Unbelievers know that it's wrong. Believers know that it's wrong. And that is because God has written his law on our hearts. That's not mine. I shouldn't take it. Your conscience can be seared, but still at one time you knew it was wrong. And you did it anyway. And so you steal when no one is looking. Why do we steal lots of attitudes behind the heart of a theft? There's pride, there's selfishness, laziness. One would simply just be greed. Consider Judas, no sadder case than Judas. He was stealing from the treasury of the disciples and Jesus. No one knew that he was doing this. How did he get there? What was the path that led him to betray the very Son of God. It was not sexual morality. It was not something so gross and degraded as homosexuality, transgenderism, adultery. No, it was theft, which sprung from a heart of greed. I want. I didn't work for it, but I want it. Matthew 26, 14, then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and he said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? They paid him 30 pieces of silver. From that moment on, he sought an opportunity to betray him. 30 pieces. Not even, in Hebrew culture, a large sum of money. This was the price that caused the Son of Destruction to portray the Son of God. It was greed. He threw it back, but the problem was the greed remained in his heart. The selfishness remained in his heart. It wasn't true repentance, it was self-pity. And so forever Judas stands as a divine warning to those who would seek to pursue life through greed. And the warning is this you cannot have a love for money and a love for Christ in your heart. One will win out. And if greed stands there, a love for money stands there, you will in the end betray the Son of God just like Judas. Let the thief steal no longer. It's shameful. It's wrong. It's lazy. It's greedy. It's selfish. It's full of lust, and it is entirely unbecoming of what you now are in Christ. Paul says, don't be deceived. These will not inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. This used to be us, but no longer. We've been washed, sanctified, set apart. We live differently, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Having been sanctified and set apart, he has given us a new work. Which leads us to our second point, and that is work hard. Work hard. We put off stealing, and in its place we put hard work. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. Uh, This is a word that indicates a hard striving, blood, sweat, and tears. Let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share. Honest, hard work. This is what God has created you for. This is what God has created me for. This is what he has recreated us for. And guess what? He owns you. He owns you. You work for him. He has bought you at an incredibly high And so Paul says, instead of laziness, dishonest gain, work hard with your hands. And Paul lived this kind of life. 2 Thessalonians 3.6, now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in other words, this is in keeping with what the Lord desires, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, laziness. Well, to not associate with someone given over to sexual immorality, sure, lying, sure, but laziness—I mean, that's not so bad, right? Paul says, "Stay away. This is not in accordance with the tradition you have received from us. In other words, when I was with you and taught you, this was not a part of it. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you; we were not lazy, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil." In labor, we worked night and day so as to not be a burden to any of you. This is Paul's example. When I was with you, maybe I had the right at times to not work hard, but I wanted to set an example before you, and that is one of hard work. This is what you have been created for. And so when Paul hears that there were some among the Thessalonians who were not doing this, he addresses it. Second 2 Thessalonians 3.11, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness. You're not walking worthy, you're walking lazily. You're not busy at work, he says, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command in all authority, we encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. Do their work quietly. What does this mean? We don't publicize our work. okay? We work hard for the Lord, not for other people. We don't work hard and then put a selfie up on Instagram so that everybody knows. We're not looking for that reward. We work for God. The worthy walk is a hard, working walk. Paul says, don't just sit there waiting for Christ's return. Work. He bought you. He bought your time. You were not your own. You were bought at an extremely high price. How high was that price? The blood of Christ, having bought you, He has now set you apart, called you faithful, given you a stewardship, and He calls you to work hard with what He has given you. Lots of implications to this. But certainly one of them is just a renewed desire. To work with all of our hearts unto the Lord. Ecclesiastes 9:10, Solomon says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. In other words, hard work isn't just for church, it isn't as if my work is any different than your work. Whatever your calling is, whatever the Lord has given you to do, you do it with all of your might. Whatever that is. Colossians 3.23, same thing. Whatever you do, do your work heartily, with all your heart, as for the Lord, rather than for man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward. Serve the Lord Jesus Christ, he says. This has profound implications. We all have different gifts, different talents. Two men get on the line. One man is much faster. The gun goes off. He speeds to the finish line, but inside he knows he's just jogged. He crosses the line first. The crowd erupts. He has won. The other man takes off, and he runs with all of his heart, all of his might. He comes in second place. No one cheers, but God has cheered, for he sees the heart. And what is success in God's eyes? It is to work with all of your might unto him. This means whatever gifts you have, whatever talents you have, whether they are recognized by anyone or not, if you have given your whole heart, the Lord sees it. And you will be rewarded. You may not get the cheers on earth, but how much better to have them in heaven. And so we run. With all of our hearts, our Lord loves hard work. He hates laziness. All throughout his word, it makes this clear. Now, Let me just read to you just a sample of some verses in Proverbs. Almost every chapter deals with this subject. If you want to know what hard work is, go home this morning and find an ant. Go to the ant, oh sluggard. Consider her ways. Be wise. Just watch that ant. He says, how long will you lie there? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, and poverty will come upon you. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in the summer is prudent, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son that brings shame. Proverbs 10.26, like vinegar to the teeth, smoke to the eyes. That's not a pleasant experience. So is the sluggard to those who send him. Proverbs 12.24, the hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Proverbs 13.4, the soul of the sluggard craves and craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Proverbs 14.23, in all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Whoever is slack in his word, Proverbs 18.9, is a brother to him who destroys. Proverbs 19.24, the sluggard buries his hand in his dish. This is such a great word picture and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Proverbs 24, the sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. Proverbs 21, 25, the desire of the sluggard kills him. His desire is to do nothing. It is to be lazy. It is only for selfish purposes. For his hands refuse to labor. He can't get past his lazy desires. All day long he craves and he craves. But the righteous gives and does not hold back. Proverbs 22, 29, do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Proverbs 24, 30, another great word picture. I passed by a field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles. Some of you are thinking right now, I need to go home and mow my lawn. (laughs) I saw and considered I looked at this field and received instruction. You could go home this morning and you could receive instruction from your grass. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come. Of the Proverbs 31 woman, she seeks wool and flax and she works with willing hands. Hard work. It is not a curse, it is a gift from God. There is nothing better, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 2.24, for a man than to eat and drink and have his soul see good in his labor. What a blessing! If you began to see good in your labor, not a curse, but a gift. This I have seen is from the hand of God. For who can eat and have enjoyment outside of him? Where to a man who is good before him, he has given wisdom, knowledge, gladness. While to the sinner, he is given the endeavor of gathering, collecting, so that he may give to the one who is good before God. This too is all vanity and striving after the wind. Not only has God given his redeemed people the gift of work, but also we have this gift, all of it will receive a reward if done in the Spirit. An unbeliever works and works and works, and he toils, and guess what? Vanity, nothing. All of it builds up, and in the end, he's got nothing. But to the believer, he's paid beyond what he could ever imagine. No vanity for us. And so Paul says, Let the thief no longer steal. Rather, let him labor, this is good and right, doing honest work with his own hands. And why? Why do we do this? So that we might build larger barns, be able to buy everything we want and our heart desires off Amazon? He says, so you can share. That's our third heading, share. We work to share so that, he says, you might have something to share. He he doesn't say how much that has to be. You don't have to be rich to do this, but so that you would have something to share with anyone in need. No partiality within the body of Christ. Anyone who has need, we are willing to share because that's my brother or sister in the Lord. This is what sets the hardworking believer apart from the hardworking unbeliever. The unbeliever works for the earthly reward, but the believer, he works for the heavenly reward. And this being the case, he's not tied to the earthly reward. In fact, to share is only to work for the heavenly reward. It's just another part of the work. If given the opportunity, he gives it away. He uses it for the kingdom. He shares. And where did we learn this from? 2 Corinthians 8 9. For you know, Paul writes, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ... That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. A selfish believer is a contradiction of terms. Christ has saved us. He was rich. He became poor so that he might share with us his very life. this being the case, a believer cannot be tied to money and the Savior. Christ made this abundantly clear to the rich young ruler. You remember what he said? The rich young ruler said, all these things I have kept. Jesus, knowing his heart, said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess. And then what? Share. Give it to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. There's the reward. Come, follow me. The young man heard this. He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So he thought. The greatest possessions stood right there in front of him. And he said, Go. The heart of Judas could not see past the vanity that he had in his pockets. We are to flee the love of money. Flee it. Paul says it's a temptation. The rich fall into it. It's a snare. In it are many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. And through this craving, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves. He says, Oh man of God, flee these things. Flee it. How do we flee it? We hold on to it loosely. We share it as the Lord gives us opportunity. And why do we share? Because we believe the Son of God. And what did He say? Acts 20 35. Paul says, Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He Himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. This is a truth that we believe. And so we share because it's true. And for anyone who's ever shared, you know that is true. To hang on and to build a bigger barn, that brings no joy, but to give it away so that someone may be able to be blessed, that is a true blessing. And it shows the heart of someone who is truly content in Christ Jesus. What is a Christian work ethic? It is simple. Work hard. Honestly, work hard. Do not steal and share. Share. This is your work assignment from the heavenly king himself. And one day, you'll stand before him. You will report for your evaluation. The end of the year evaluation, the end of life evaluation, you stand before him. Two things you could hear. Well done. Good. Faithful, trustworthy, dependable servant. I gave you a stewardship, and you used it with all of your might. Well done. Enter into the joy of your master. Or, you wicked, lazy servant. Depart from me. Condemnation or commendation. Which again has nothing to do with the amount of talents that he has given, has everything to do with how you use them. So whatever it is you have right now, your assignment is simple to work hard for the Lord. And what is it that compels you to do this? What is it that is your motivating factor? We don't work to earn our salvation, do we? Christ has done all of that work. And if that is true, you have something in your heart that would be well enough to compel you to hard work. And that is a grateful, loving heart for your Savior. He's done it all. I will gladly work for him. So what is this life like? Well, Jesus said it is like a man who goes on a journey, who called his servants and trusted to them his property. You've been given some of God's property. To one he gave five, another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. But know this, he is coming back. And in the meantime, he knows exactly what you are doing with his property. And so here is his mercy that you have before you today, a reminder that he has given you a gift, and that is to work hard with a thankful heart knowing that one day everything will be rewarded in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, that all of this is possible because of your grace. Sending your son, though he was rich, he became poor. He shared his life so that we might have life. So, Lord, certainly it is becoming of your people that we would do the same. Lord, give us many opportunities to share, to share of our time, to share of our gifts, our abilities, to share our money. Lord, yes, to provide for our family, yes, to provide for ourselves, yes, to save as your word calls us to do that wisely, but also to share, knowing that our inheritance comes from you. So, Father, we ask that you would test us in these ways and that you would make us more like your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in your son's great name. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand.